0: You are listening to Mark Hatmaker, Rough and Tumble Tour. This is a grab bag of old school Western martial arts, resurrected indigenous ways, and empirical musings tinged with a heavy dose of respect, admiration. Let's call it hero worship for these hosses of yore. Crew, this is Mark Hatmaker coming to you from the Comancheria. Today's topic, uh, grappling. Stay with me, even if you're not a, a ground dog. Uh, but we're going to be covering grappling in uh, several permutations. We will talk some sportive aspect. We will talk uh, sportive with uh, some street-ready stuff. And then we're going to be talking some all-out horrible Mayhem, All right? So it's a little bit of puckering stuff. So we're covering grappling in all its forms. Just don't think sport only. And I love the game. And we have to also discuss where it goes outside the game. Uh, I think, see the prior podcast episode where we discuss about You want to learn uh, how to break the rules. Look to the lawbreakers. Now, often one of the most fielded questions is, you know, what's the difference between, let's say, catch wrestling and all-in wrestling and uh, -and rough-and-tumble grappling and on and on? Now, uh, if you're... You're probably well aware of the differences if you're deep in the grappling game, but for our new friends, allow me to answer that question. Again, and put a little bit more finesse on it, particularly in the world where it comes to rough and tumble, because I think there's a tendency to assume just, you know, old-school wrestling, throw a few extra holes on there, and then, and, and you've got that beast. No contraire. Now, uh, catch, 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 can, Lancashire-style wrestling. Fantastic game. Vast vocabulary material uh, to play with. But strictly speaking, it is not truly no-holds-barred or not truly all-in. And I don't mean no-holds-barred in today's striking, grappling, MMA game sense, but no-holds-barred in the original... No holds barred since. A reading of contemporary rule sets from the time period of that during the game's heyday reveals that the stranglehold was barred. In this technical sense, we know that at least one hold was barred, right? And any time you drop something out, that means there's going to be less of a defensive vocabulary versus such a thing because it's off the table. You're not worried about it. But it wasn't only the stranglehold that was not permitted as the following, quote, from of the rule sets back then will show, quote, A single arm may be pressed against an opponent's throat, but the free arm or hand must not touch any part of the opponent's head or neck. Unquote. Again, where the rules stop is often where the, the outlawry begins. This is where we want to think about. It. We have bounded content, what you practice and how you train is what's going to pop. If you have boundaries and stop, stopping points, anyway, again, see that prior episode to think about uh, these concepts. Now, with the specification on not using the free arm to assist the head attack, we can see that, strictly speaking, yes, strangleholds are out of the question, as are some forms of chancery, face locks, uh, neck locks, uh, and the like. The lack of two-arm head-slash-neck attacks were not the only prohibitions. I mean, some rules sets, such as the catches catch-can rules of the Amateur Athletic Union, also barred the use of hammer locks, uh, full Nelsons, in addition to uh, the two-arm head-neck uh, attacks. Some rule sets even urged more prohibitions. Even a brilliant matman man such Wilfred can, that's with two ends, urge the barring of the toll hold in all its forms. Can you imagine that? Now, all in permits all of the above barred attacks that we just discussed, but It is still not the only difference, all right? Now the objective catch was victory via concession hold or fall, which is a two shoulder pin. As you can well imagine, the use of a flat backed bottom scissors position slash guard as either an offensive or defensive tool is strictly out of the question as it would result in a self pinning situation. The flip side of this pinning game is there was little need of developing an extensive counter game to being caught inside the bottom scissors, as the so called cop man would be less concerned with the escape or pass and more concerned started with manipulating the bottom man into a fall. Again, the boundaries is where we start looking and seeing more interesting things pop up to some degree. That's why uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu could be so formidable to someone who's only schooled in wrestling because they're not really dealed with that extensive game that can be done there. So in a sense, you've got one area which specialized in this uh, bottom-sided game, and they were able to, uh, that was not their boundary. That's within their boundary, excuse me, and that's how we were they able to manipulate this bounded constraints that we had from, from the other side., you know, and vice versa, where often if you work most of your time in a bounded set on, off the back, the top side game may be you know, less than uh, up to snuff. And that's why a wise combination of the two makes a good deal of sense. Okay, we're still getting close trust me, we're getting to the rough-and-tumble aspect of this soon. So in strict essence, the true catch game plays a bifurcated uh, game uh, focused. <clears throat> The player strives for concession or pin. In all-in, all holds are back on the table and the pin does not earn a victory. Victory only comes via concession hold. The scramble permutations increase many-fold, resembling a game more conducive to today's play versus the sports game. So catch is, yes, indeed a huge part of the all-in game. Yes, yeah, it's, it's got a huge aspect. It just is in boxing, uh, you're going to see people throw hands in a rough and tumble game, but it's still not necessarily the boxing. Again, what looks like the sport of aspects and applications can be a different animal altogether. The all-in game had to be rounded out for a true no-holds-barred rule set where there is no splitting of focus. Only one idea is paramount in the all-in player's mind, that is a concession hold from any perceived angle. Now, to my way of thinking, what makes combat grappling so exquisitely interesting is the vast myriad of approaches, angles, attacks, counters to such a so-called simple thing as mass scuffling. Rule sets beyond those imposed for athlete safety are ways to corral the game into a few comparatively limited areas that force the athlete to think in terms of the rule set and sometimes allow those ideas outside of rules to atrophy or hold lower tier and strategic thinking. Well now that statement in no way casts shades of aspersions or any of the corralled games. It simply exposes my bias for any slick hole that could cripple, maim, strangle, jugulate, or cause a man to howl. Now that, that sort of thing has my attention. Now that last sentence there, that is the aim of the grappling portion of the black box project in a nutshell. But we must go beyond that and realize the game is even more vicious than that. Uh, for example, our most recent one, Black Box 16, and the RAW 229, uh, we really get into how even something that even looks like just a standard pin uh, off of a crossbody harness has way more mayhem built into it. And that's still not all the mayhem that we can do. Again, let's, uh, let's take a look at uh, an excerpt from Whitman Mead's Travels in North America. It was, this is written in 1820. Again, I could have chosen so many sources for this, but this will stand in for us right now. The author refers to an incident that he witnessed in 1817 while drive- uh, traveling through Georgia. Uh, Such gatherings that are going to be described, according to Mead, the author, occur two to three times per week where folks would gather to fellowship, feast, drink, dance, gamble, exchange wares, have a horse race or two, a foot race. And often following the ever-present horse race, a public challenge may be issued, at which time, quote, a ring is formed, free for anyone to enter and fight. After a few rounds, they generally clinch, throw down, bite, and gouge, and the conquered creeps out under the ring as a signal of his submission. Now, we're not just talking striking, we're not just talking grappling, we're talking more and more things are clearly being allowed. Meade goes on to tell us of meeting several of the past combatants who had their noses bitten off, their eyes gouged out, and more than a few had been castrated in such affairs. Now, many of these now unsavory tactics were not mere desperation moves in the heat of battle, but these were sought for targets of acquisition with their own strategy and methods and tactics of attack. So, again, the more unbounded we get, the more outlawry we can learn from the outlaws. Whenever it comes time to play within bounds, we should have a good, solid game. Now, if you're only training within bounds, as soon as you step outside of the bounds, things get really hairy and you may have, may I would wager, you're going to have far, far less of a chance against that beast. Again, this is just meant to uh, let us see the sliding gradation that goes from sportive aspects. Even with the sportive aspects, we see some games and rule sets have corralled positions that kind of work against each other, work across purposes. And then when we start adding a bit more on top of it, some people stop and think, well, now this is street ready. When we look at Rough and tumble, we go, perhaps it's not street ready. This is murdering and maiming ready. All right, take care of yourselves, crew. Happy holidays to one and all.